0: Morning, everyone. Uh, While we're getting the table set up here, um, if you get something to write with, I'm going to give you a little information. Thanks, Gary. Uh, So yesterday I was telling you about the Old Testament commentary. Its uh, title is um, what is the title? Yeah, thank you. Oh, it's an Old Testament devotional commentary series. That's the name of it, 14 volumes. What I forgot to mention is um, that commentary, actually all, all the books that uh, the Lord has helped me to publish, uh, are available in soft copies too. You can get them in Kindle format uh, or EPUB format, which is a growing format. You just download, it. for instance, if you have Firefox, uh, you can just download the EPUB reader for free, and then you can have that on your computer your laptop. It's uh, font-adjustable, pagination-adjustable, and uh, I think you can get the whole commentary for like $24 or $25 uh, for EPUB. So, um, some of you gave me slips of paper yesterday with what you'd like. I'm going to give you an email address, so after the conference, this will be recorded. Uh, if you forget to write it down, you can just contact me. It's Warren A. Henderson Publishing. Warren, a. don't forget the A. Warren A. Henderson Publishing at gmail.com. Um, the website is Warren A. Henderson Publishing.com. So if you forget that, just do a Google search and you can contact me through the website. Um, Henderson Publishing is a YouTube channel if you're looking for. Some uh, recorded messages. All right. Uh, We're in the book of Joshua. And uh, if you would, turn to chapter 11 with me. Um, So we saw that uh, Joshua, they've they've overcome Jericho. The next step was they took out Bethel and Ai. Uh, They got deceived by the Gibeonites. They honored their covenant with the Gibeonites when the SOS came out. Uh, They marched all night, got there in the morning, engaged the enemy. The five kings from the south, the big armies in the south, gathered together to wipe out the Gibeonites for signing this peace treaty with Israel. Um, God helps his people over the next day and a half, and they basically wipe out the major resistance in the south. Now, It was honorable that they honored their covenant with the Gibeonites, but there's always consequences for sin. And I I just wanted to note this, that history will show that where those four cities of the Gibeonites were, that becomes the soft point in the kingdom. And later, when the kingdom divides under Rehoboam's leadership, after Solomon dies, that's the break point. That's the break point. You have the northern kingdoms become Israel, the southern kingdoms become Judah. So the, the sin that happened here in the book of Joshua has implications for centuries. And so, again, we need to count the cost. We choose our sin, God chooses the consequences of our sin. I'm just briefly going to mention chapter 11. This is uh, the record of their conquest in the north. Um The big battle is at Hazor. Hazor is 20 times bigger than Jericho. And so they get all the people groups in the northern part of of Cana to bond together, and they're going to fight these Israelites and try to take them out. And actually, this is the first time that Israel is outnumbered. When they come into the battle at Hazor, they're outnumbered almost two to one. Doesn't matter. God's on their side. Every victory is the Lord's victory. They're being led, uh, led by the commander of the Lord's army. And there's great victory, great conquest. Josephus, Josephus sometimes exaggerates numbers, but he says there was 300,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 cavalry, and um, 20,000 chariots that Israel was facing. Israel had no cavalry and no chariots. but It didn't matter. They had God, and that was enough and they took out the enemy. It uh, kind of pictures the battle in the future that will happen in that same area, the battle of Jezreel um, during the tribulation period under the Antichrist, the battle of Armageddon. So, it took seven years. All the major garrisons and major armies have been taken care of, but Deuteronomy 7.22, Moses told the people before they ever entered into Israel, that God was going to give them the land little by little. So what they would do is they'd move in and they would take out this army and this garrison. People would hide in caves and caverns and after Israel moved through, they'd come back out. Well, that was so they could keep the vineyards up, the olive groves up, the fields up. And so they were taking out the major op- uh, obstacles. And so little by little, there would still be remnants of the people in the land to keep the land up. So when it was finally taken over, the major conquest was over, then the, the tribes could get their individual inheritances, go back and then drive out the remaining inhabitants. That was God's plan. It was real from the start. Joshua chapter 11, verse 23. So Joshua took the whole land. The major conquest is over. Again, Joshua represents Jesus, Jehovah's salvation. Joshua took the whole land, according to all the Lord had said to Moses. And Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. And then mark this, the land rested from war. And so we're continuing this wonderful tie that we were thinking through together in chapter 1. The association of laying hold of our possessions that God has for us and entering into his rest. Israel had followed the leadership of Joshua. They basically had taken the whole land, except for these these little pockets of resistance that were left, and they rested from war. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years. Now that's not a very polite thing to say, but when the Lord says it, it's okay. Okay? You're old and advanced in years. That was just the fact. And there remains very much land yet to possess. Now, does that seem contradictory to what we just read in chapter 11, verse 23? They already took the whole land. Yeah, corporately they did. But as clans and tribes, there was still a work to do. There was still a possession to be had but they had conquered the land enough that it could be uh, divvied up now among the nine and a half tribes. The two and a half tribes could return to what possession God had given them at their request. So, um, Joshua's around 100 years of age, and uh, we're now at chapter 14, in verse 1. Uh, in chapter 13, he acknowledges the boundaries for the two-and-a-half tribes that would remain in the Transjordan area. So in chapter 14, the the nine-and-a-half tribes now that are going to be in Cana proper, it's time for them to get their inheritance. And we read in verse 1 that there's two main people involved with determining what tribe gets what boundaries of their inheritance. And so there's Joshua, he's the military leader, and Eleazar, he's the a high priest. Josephus records that there were two urns, and in one urn was the, the names of the tribes, and another urn was the boundaries. And so Joshua would reach into one, the high priest would reach into the other, and they pull out together. Judah gets da 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 da, right? And um, so that's how they divvied up the, the, the inheritance. Uh, of the nation now what's really cool about this is that as the names of the tribe came out of the urns and the boundaries it was fulfilling prophetic scripture that jacob had given way back in genesis 49 and we're going to see here in chapter 14 before they even get into this process we have a little interruption because uh, we read that Um, The children of Judah, in verse 6, came to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kinzazite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old. When Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. It says that three times of Caleb in this section. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where you, your foot has trodden, shall be your inheritance, and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord, my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here am I, this day, 85 years old. As yet I'm as strong this day As on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord has said. And then we find that Joshua gives, uh, answers Caleb's request and gives him Hebron, the land that he had spied out uh, 45 years earlier. Moses said, wherever you went when you spied, that's going to be your inheritance. Now, so Joshua and the high priest are pulling the names and the boundaries out of the urns, and guess what portion Judah gets? they get that whole southern section in Cana. They're going to be the lion in the south protect the nation of Israel from invasion from the south. They were a strong tribe, and Caleb's inheritance is smack dab in the middle of it. Again, we see God's providential care here in the giving of possessions. It's from this text that we understand that the conquest took seven years. Caleb was 40 years uh, when he was a spy. They'd spent a year or so, nearly a year, at Sinai. There was some traveling in there. And so uh, now he's 85. Uh, You can work back, and it it comes out to be about seven years for the conquest. All right, so yesterday I told you we're going to be thinking about what, what are the principles for determining how well we lay hold of our spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And I'm going to suggest to you that the same four principles that we see in the lives of Caleb and the lives of Joshua are practically, experientially, actively the same for us in the church age. Four things. The first point is conquest. There was an enemy present... In Cana, there was a work to do. When there's an enemy present, there are only two options in warfare. Conquest, where you win, or defeat. You win, or there's defeat. That's really the only two options. And so, Joshua would not be leading... The nation as a whole uh, into battle anymore, but the commander of the army of the Lord is still leading on, and so this would be a test: Would God's people continue to go on with the Lord and lay hold of their possessions that the Lord had for them? And so the first thing to do, to uh, first principle, is this: The believer has to say, "I am willing to engage the enemy." I am willing to follow the the commander of the Lord's army into battle. Uh, There's really no idea in Scripture for those who are the Lord's to kind of get up, you know, in their latter years and say, um, you know, I've done my time. Um, It's time to have a little comfort. Well, comfort leads to complacency. Complacency leads to compromise. Compromise leads to carnality. You can see it over and over again in scriptures. So this whole idea of like, well, I deserve a break. Forget that. We don't see that in Scripture. There will be a whole eternity to have a break with the Lord. But right now, the enemy is present, which means there's a battle to be fought, and there's only victory or defeat. Those are only two options. And so one of the key characteristics for determining how well You're going to lay hold of your spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, practically reservoirs of mercy, grace. Everything that we need for the day, every day, is am I willing to engage the enemy? Brandon, we've been praying for them. I love these guys up there. They are frontline troops. They're standing on the corners preaching the gospel. They're going door to door. They've marked out a territory, and they're saying, we want to take this for the Lord. The prayer of Jabez, recorded in 1 Chronicles, it was popularized um, a few years ago. And I'm not suggesting you pray that prayer 40 days, and you get what you want. That's not what it's about. But uh, there is one part of that prayer I really enjoy. Jabez says, increase my borders. Well, how did a Jew increase their borders? They couldn't take land from another Jew. The Jubilee would just go back. The only way they could increase their borders is in conflict and taking it away from the enemy. Understanding God has given me this land and he wants me to have it if I'm willing to engage the enemy and take it in his power and strength. Caleb was willing to engage in conquest. Can you imagine? You know what your inheritance is. You wanted to take it, but because of disbelief of others, you had to suffer 38-plus years of wandering in the wilderness, seeing all your friends, everybody that you knew, die and buried. And now he's 85 years old, and he says, I'm as strong this day as I was 40 years ago. Now, when an 85-year-old says that, the first thing you think is dementia, right? <laughs> <laughs> Something is not right here. But this is the beauty of it. When you're going in the strength and power of the Lord, age doesn't matter so much. I love, uh, you know, uh, King Saul was told to uh, obliterate the Malachites. And he disobeys. Saul's a type of the flesh. And the Amalekites are a type of flesh. Ishmael's a type of flesh. Those are the three main types of flesh in the Old Testament. And so he he keeps Agag. Why anybody would keep somebody with the name Agag alive? I'm not sure anyway. But he keeps Agag alive. And uh, Samuel comes and, and Saul says, Well, I have obeyed the Lord. You know, and you hear that in the back. You know, the sheep haven't been slaughtered, the king's still alive. And uh, you know what Samuel does? Samuel's in his 70s. He takes a sword and he hacks Agag into pieces. Now that is spiritual vitality. That's not easy work, hacking a person in pieces. Saul couldn't do it because he symbolizes the flesh. Agag symbolizes the flesh will never mortify the flesh. But the spiritual man with the sword of truth can. And the power of the Lord So, Caleb says, I've engaged in conquest, Uh, he requests, that's the second point. So he's willing to engage in conquest, second point is he requests his inheritance. I want my mountain. And he gets it. It's providential, that's the third point. God has appointed him that portion. And God has, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, he's appointed you spiritual gift or gifts. He's given you a calling. You have a specific work of ministry to do. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Each one of us. He has a portion that he wants us to lay hold of him as we fulfill that calling. He knows it's only going to be done through active duty. It's only going to be done through suffering trials, hardship. That's how the Lord builds tenacity into our character. Works patience into our character. Makes us more like his son. As we look over our lives, man, we have gone through some whopper trials. But the Lord, as we look back, he's, he's brought us further along and we appreciate him in ways that we never did before. We're drawing on him. Well, he got me through that trial. I'm going to just rest in him a little bit more quickly the next time. And we're appropriating spiritual blessings in heavenly places, bringing them down, making them active in our lives so others can see the Lord. Whereas Philippians 1 says we're magnifying him, bringing him into every situation. He's at the right hand of majesty on high. I'm a little telescope and I'm bringing him into the presence of a world that desperately needs to see him, the commander of the army of the Lord. And the fourth thing is the capacity to give. Now let's flip over to chapter 15. Now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. By the way, uh, I hope you caught this. Caleb was a Kenizzite. He wasn't born a Jew. He's like Uriah the Hittite and Ruth the Moabite and uh, Rahab the Canaanite. These people by faith, uh, they became part of the commonwealth of Israel. They were proselytes. And God received them because of their faith and their commitment. So in chapter 15, in verse 13, we read, Now Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord, Joshua, namely, Kirath Arba, which is Hebron. By the way, that's where the giants lived, the the sons of Anak. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak. I love that. 85-year-old man. And he's moving giants out of his possession. It's my mountain, and I want it. My God will, he will lead the way. He will give me the victory. He says that when he talks to Joshua. Then he went up from there in the inhabitants of Deber, formerly named Deber or Kirath Sefer. And Caleb said, he who attacks Kirath Sefer takes it. To him I will give Aksha, my daughter, as a wife. So Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, so this would be Caleb's nephew, took it and he gave him Aksha, his daughter, as a wife. Othniel says, hey, this sounds like a good deal. I get inheritance and a wife out of the deal. He says, I'll do it. Now it was so when she, so this is Aksha, came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey and Caleb said to her, what do you wish? She answered, give me a blessing since you have given me land in the south. Or give me a blessing since you've given me a blessing. Give me also the spring of waters. So he gave her the upper spring and the lower spring. Man, I love this. This Caleb, he is a man's man. He's willing to, to go into conquest. He's asking for his possession. He understands there's providential control over it. And he's willing to share what God's given him. And so he's got Hebron. He gives, apparently, a, a section of property to his daughter and son-in-law, uh, rewarding Othniel for his faithfulness. And uh, Aksha talks to Othniel and says, we, let's go talk to my dad. And so as they're approaching Caleb, before she says anything, Caleb says, what do you want? She says, well, I'd like, the, you've blessed me, bless me again. I, I would like the springs that are surrounding the property. This was a very nice piece of, of property, a of possession, but with the springs to irrigate on either side, it would make it a lot more valuable. Caleb doesn't even think about it. Yours! See, that's the way our Heavenly Father is. This is a great way to pray. Lord, you have blessed me. Bless me again. He wants to. He wants us to lay hold of the resources, the treasuries in heaven. We are the ones that live like paupers. We're the ones that have a deficient, demented view of our God. And that's the problem. I looked into this story because I wanted to know more about it. It's a true story. There was a second lieutenant who boldly approached Napoleon, came right into the gathering of the higher officers, and he requested a large portion of land on an island, which he happened to have grown up on. It had been conquered by Napoleon. And he asked Napoleon for that possession. And Napoleon didn't even bat an ice as it's yours. His officers were astounded that he would grant such a request. And Napoleon said this, He honored me by the magnitude of his request. That's honor the Lord by the magnitude of our... He's a big God. He can do anything. There's nothing too hard. Newton put it this way. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. For his grace and power are such. None can ask too much. John Newton. Caleb was willing to share his inheritance. Um... We don't have this conversation recorded in scripture, but I like to think these two old timers, Caleb and Joshua, they were talking, and Joshua comes to him and says, "Caleb, I've got a question for you. Um, could we take Hebron, that 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 portion of inheritance that God gave you, that you engaged in Providence, that you requested and were given? Could we take that?" inheritance that possession that's yours and could we make that a priestly city you know so that the priests and the word of god would be in hebron and anyone in the surrounding area had a question about god's will could come to hebron and, and find answers and i think caleb said yeah i would really like to use my possession that i worked for that i laid hold of to bless god's people in that way He's willing to share his inheritance. And so we find out that uh, in Joshua 21, uh, 13, that Hebron became a priestly city. Not only that, I think Joshua asked Caleb, could we take that inheritance that you worked for, you labored for, that God gave you, that you requested, could we take that and make it a city of refuge? You know, so if somebody accidentally kills someone, they can come to a safe place, escape the avenger of blood until they get a fair trial. And Caleb says, yeah, I'd really like to use my inheritance for that. See, he was willing to share what God had given him. And this seems to be one of the strongest um, principles for uh, the spiritual blessings at heavenly places that, that we lay hold of. By the way, the references in Joshua 20, verse 7. Hebron became one of the three cities in Cana proper as cities of refuge. There were three more in the Transjordan. This was a man who wanted to share the goodness of God with others. Uh, he worked for it, he earned it, and he wanted to share it with others. Now, in closing, just let's take a look at Joshua real quick, because Joshua shows us the same four points only two verses so look with me in joshua chapter 19 Uh, by the way this i i love joshua Um, it says in verse 49 when they had made an end of the dividing of the land he made sure everybody else got their possessions first their allotments first he was the very last one to get his portion Boy, that shows us the me-first attitude that so often in Christendom today among leadership, how putrid that is to the Lord. Leaders uphold the sheep. They're, they're last. Uh, they put the sheep before them. They uphold them to succeed. So we know Joshua has been engaging the enemy. He's been leading the fight for seven years, so that's the first point. He was willing to engage in conquest. So, when they had made an end of dividing the land as an inheritance according to their borders, the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun, according to the word of the Lord. There's providence, 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 excuse me. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city he asked for. There's a request. He engaged in conquest, there was divine appointment of his inheritance. He asked for it. What was it? Timna Surah. timnath Surah in the mountains of Ephraim. Timnath Surah in the mountains of Ephraim. And he built the city and dwelt in it. Joshua had no thought of retirement. Right? If there's anybody who could draw on a 401k or an IRA, it would be Joshua, right? He'd done his time. What's he do? He he says, I want my inheritance. So he gets Timnath. What's he do with his inheritance? He builds it up as a functioning city so it can bless others. About 15 years ago, I was speaking at a conference in North Carolina And they had a little apartment there in the church building, and that's where they put me up for the week. But uh, one of the elders said, there's going to be another elder who will pick you up and take you out to dinner. I said, okay. So I took a walk, got back, and um, a man picked me up, a very older man, actually he was 91 years of age, and uh, he took me out to, uh, to a restaurant to eat. And as we're driving to the restaurant, I said, so what you been doing today? He says, I've been planting fruit trees. And I just looked at them. You know, planting fruit trees is hard work, isn't it? Do you think that man ever ate one piece of fruit from those trees? Oh, he's along with the Lord. But he was thinking what he could do to bless the next generation, those after. He he wasn't retiring. He wanted to use the possessions that he had gained of the Lord to bless others. So I'm going to suggest to you that in the church age, these same four principles determine how well we lay hold of our spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He's there five times. Christ, uh, Paul speaks of Christ in the heavenly places in the book of Ephesians. And the sooner we get up in the heavenly places and rest in him, the, the sooner we're going to find tranquility for our soul and we're going to see the hand of God and the work of God. We can't do it down here. It, every victory is the Lord's victory. We've got to get up there. He's got to come down and help us. So, conquest. Are you willing to engage the enemy? There's an enemy present, and the only option is victory or defeat. There is no middle ground. Number two, providence. Understanding that um, we each are a, a special tool in the hand of the Lord. We have spiritual gift or gifts. We have a calling. Uh, Brother Jim last night read in his testimony, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. And in, t- in verse 10, we find out that there's this providential care in our salvation. He's put these works before us to walk in. doesn't force us to, but they're there for us to walk in. And I love that. He says we're each his workmanship. Literally in the Greek, it means poem. Each one of you is a special poem of God. A lyric that he's writing of grace. Request. Are we willing to pray? Our brother said we're on, we, ha, we can only go forward on our knees. Are we willing to see God in our lives? Are we willing to have a higher experience with the Lord? If you're satisfied with your, where, where you're at today, You're not going to see God in this way. And the capacity to be used and disperse and share what God has done. We're not here to hoard anything. We're here to magnify, Paul says this in Ephesians, we're we're here for the praise of his glory. That's the only reason we're still alive if you're a believer. We're here for the praise of his glory, to make God look good. It's the only reason we're alive today. Anything outside of that doesn't count for eternity. It is not laying hold of our spiritual blessings in heavenly places. It's not going on with the Lord. So that's follow our, the commander of the Lord's army. and that's go into victory as only is uh, only possible through him. Conquest, providence, request and capacity to be used. Father, we thank you for our text. We thank you for how you've written this so eloquently in the narrative in the Old Testament that we in the church age can enjoy these beautiful truths now. Father, please help us not to live like paupers anymore. Father, please help us to draw from the treasuries. Help us to have the right view of our great and mighty God. Father, I pray for each one here. We're, we're different creations. We have different gifts, different callings, but Father, we want to go on with you. There's only two options, victory or defeat, and we want the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, to have the victory. Amen.